Well, let's open our Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think we're going to finish chapter 12 today. We're talking about um, chapter 12 deals with the gifts of the Spirit. And you've heard me say this a number of times. Um, you know, this is one of those chapters of the Bible that um, people, you know, it can become controversial. We like to talk about the gifts and we get focused on the gifts and we get focused on these outward manifestations. And that's not the point of why this is in the Scripture. That's not the point of... Not the reason why God gave gifts to his body. The Spirit doesn't manifest um, for any other reason except to point us to and to reveal to us Christ. So we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Christ is the main thing. And uh, I was thinking about that as I was there with Ron. You know, one day, all of these external or extracurricular issues that we like to talk about and get focused on are going to mean absolutely nothing. Because in that day that we see him face to face, we're going to understand that the only thing that counts is Christ. The only reason we can make that transition from this earthly realm to be with Him, to be present with Him, is because of what He has done, because of who He is. And none of this other stuff that we like to get caught up in really matters in and of itself. It only matters in terms of how it reveals and how it speaks of and makes known to us Christ. Amen? So I want you to keep that uh, in always in the back of your mind as we talk about these things. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me, let me begin in, in verse 8. And let's just read, uh, I'm going to read to you verse 8 to the end of the chapter. And you think, man, that's a lot of verses to read. Well, we learned today in Bible study that the early church read the book of Revelation every time they came together. So we're just going to read a few verses, Okay. <laughs> They, they didn't have an hour and a half time frame that they worked out of, <laughs> okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Father in heaven, open your word to us. Reveal to us Christ, the person of Christ through the Scripture. Lord, this is why you've given us the Holy Spirit to make known to us, to testify to us, to affirm to us, to reveal to us, to lead us and guide us to Christ. So, God, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, open this word to us today, reveal your truth, change us and transform us, conform us to the image of your dear Son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, beginning in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 
For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I do not need you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable hearts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which it lacks. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you who are of the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? By the way, the implied answer there is no. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Okay, let's go back to verse 8. And we're going to finish this chapter today and go through talking about the gifts of the Spirit, or specifically what verse 8 calls the manifestation of of the Spirit. And this is going to lead us right into chapter 13. This is a one seamless, continuous thought here, though because we're doing this on a weekly basis, it's not very seamless for us, but I want you to keep that in mind. You know, take the Scripture, read the Scriptures. You know, don't just look at them as I take you through them on Sunday. Get your Bible out and read and meditate and don't just read and meditate on the few verses that we're looking at today, but read it in large chunks. Read chapter 12, read chapter 13, read chapter 14. Read these together and see the unity of thought that Paul is bringing in this letter. So let's begin by defining the gifts of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's nine of these. It says, for one, for to one is given, let me just 
name them for you. For to one is given the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. We call these the nine gifts of the Spirit, but they're not the only gifts of the Spirit listed in the Scripture. But they're the ones we're going to focus on today because we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can go to Romans 12 and find more gifts. You can go to Ephesians 4 and find other gifts listed. All right, so for the one is given the word of wisdom. So let's define these very briefly. The word of wisdom, what is that? It's the provision of wisdom or wise counsel for a person or situation. This gift often brings revelation. So it, it, it can be, we want to make these things kind of mystical and um, weird. And I submit to you that these are not mystical and weird things. Though they are manifestations of the Spirit, a word of wisdom can be something I believe as simple as um, someone with experience that I do not have giving to me wisdom or knowledge. I'm sorry, the, the word of wisdom is often a, a word of confirmation. Um, just imparting wisdom, wise counsel. Have you, ever, have you ever had something you've been kind of wrestling with and uh, you, you kind of have a sense of what you're supposed to do? The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And you go to, uh, you go to someone and you kind of present it and they confirm or affirm what you, what you kind of were thinking. That, that, that can be a word of wisdom. It's just something as simple as that. So it's Wisdom or wise counsel for a person or situation. It's a gift that brings confirmation much of the time. Word of knowledge. That's the provision of knowledge for a person or situation. And this gift, this is the gift that will often bring revelation. Or it will make known what was previously unknown. And this can be an intensely practical manifestation of the Spirit. Each one of you are gifted in certain areas. And you have gifts that I don't have, or you have talents, or you have knowledge that you possess that other people don't possess. There are certain things that I don't have much knowledge of. Or we could say it like this, I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. All right, And so recognizing through wisdom how dangerous that can be, I will go to someone else who has knowledge that I don't have. That can be the manifestation of a word of knowledge. It can be something that appears to be very mystical. I believe that God can give us knowledge concerning uh, situations in our own lives or in a person's life and and you can impart that knowledge to someone and you may reveal to them something that was not known. But that knowledge maybe didn't just come because, you know, God gave you a dream or a vision last night. It could be that over the course of your life in, in the work you do and the, the path you've taken in life, 
by the grace of God, has imparted to you and caused you to come into possess certain knowledge or knowledge of certain things. Well, God has given you possession of that knowledge so that you can impart that to other people. So a word of knowledge can work very practically or, or it can be something that we would deem supernatural. But I, I would submit to you that much of what we, I think really just about everything is supernatural. I mean, how did you come to be where you are? How did you come to possess the things that you come to possess, the knowledge that you come to possess? I would submit to you that in a sense, it, it was all supernatural. God was leading and guiding your steps all the way. And we can look back now and say, you know what, I see where God had his hand on me and has caused me to know what I know, to experience what I know. And so God does that, and you accumulate that so that you can share and impart that with others. So word of wisdom, the provision of wisdom. Word of knowledge, the provision of knowledge. Faith, the gift of faith is the supernatural ability to um, to believe God, to exercise extraordinary faith. But, but listen, all faith is a gift from God. And Jesus didn't say you had to have faith as big as a mountain. He said if you have faith as the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Because it's not going to be your power that moves the mountain. It's going to be his power that moves the mountain. So do you have faith in him? Well, there is something called the gift of faith. We all have a measure of faith that God has given to us. Romans 12, 3 through 6, or verse 3 tells us this. To each one, God has given a measure of faith. So God has blessed each one of us as believers with a measure of faith. Sometimes God supernaturally empowers us to believe beyond our natural ability. This is the gift of faith. Healings, it's the supernatural ability to affect healing. I went and just prayed for a gentleman who, who is literally dying. He's on his deathbed. God did not move on me to pray that he be raised up from that deathbed. But there is such thing as the gift of healing where God can empower a person in such a way that they can be healed supernaturally. The person who, who exercises that gift is not the person with the power to heal. They're just the vessel that God works through. I believe this is what happened when I met Gitana. Gitana. I didn't know Gitana needed healing. God moved on me and pressed upon me and I prayed for him and that man was healed. There were actually multiple gifts in operation that, that night by the grace of God. But I didn't say, you know, I think I want to pray for that guy and see that guy healed. No, it didn't happen that way. I had no clue what I was doing. The important thing was I, I felt God was impressing upon me to do something and I yielded to that. So this is what we need to understand in all of this, that we need to be yielded vessels. Don't worry about so much what God is going to do. Just be available for God to do whatever it is he wants to do. The working of miracles is the supernatural ability to, to work miracles. 
when Elijah prayed that it would not rain, that was a miracle. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. When he prayed and it rained again, that was a miracle. And the drought was broken and it rained. That was a miracle. You can't just work that at will. That is something God sovereignly does. The next one is prophecy. This is the declaration of what God has declared. It's declaring what God has declared. In a sense, I'm prophesying to you this morning. I'm declaring to you what God has declared in his word. This can encompass the past, the present, or the future. But it's always constrained by God's word. God will not move on you to declare a thing that is outside of the constraint of his word, the bounds of his word. His word is the boundary. God will never prophesy, declare something that violates this word. So here again, prophesying, don't make it some ultra-mystical way wacky thing out there, okay? I believe we prophesy all the time and we don't know it. We don't realize it. If we're declaring God's truth, if we're declaring God's word, in a sense we're prophesying, we're proclaiming. Can God move on you to, to speak something to someone by the unction of the Holy Spirit? Yes, I believe that. He can move on you to declare his word to a person. He can move on you to declare wise counsel or a word of knowledge to someone. The next one is the discerning of spirits. This is the supernatural ability to discern spirits and spiritual influences so as to detect spiritual deception. These manifestations of the Spirit are supernatural. In other words, they're not just things that, they're not your natural ability. It's not your, you don't have this natural ability to work miracles or to heal or to do these things. Even if we want to say to prophesy, you say, well, but it's just, if it's just the Bible, well, yeah, but how did you get the Bible? <laughs> the very fact that we have this living supernatural word and you can declare it is a pretty amazing thing. And so the discerning of spirits is the ability to discern spiritual influences, to detect spiritual deception. You can't depend on being able to do that apart from God's word. The Bible says the heart is wicked, wicked, and it is deceptive. So you can't just depend on your emotions. You say, well, I've got a sixth sense. I always know when something's not right. Listen, everything needs to be grounded and founded right here in this scripture. And your sixth sense needs to be operating based on what the Scripture declares because the enemy knows how to deceive us 
He'll take your emotions. He'll take your feelings. He'll use them against you to deceive you if you're not grounded in the Word of God. So all of this has to be grounded in Scripture. Tongues, this is the supernatural ability to speak in an unknown language. In Acts chapter 2, actually we see this work both ways. In Acts chapter 2, and they came down from the upper room, and they begin to declare the wonderful works of God. People were there from all parts of the world. There were, there were 70 different languages present there. If all the dialects, you know, the major languages, these men from all over the world were there, and they all heard in their own language. Well, you didn't have 120 people each speaking a different language, I don't believe. I think what happened was... They were declaring the works of God, and God supernaturally enabled those men to hear in their own language. Or God enables you to, to speak in an unknown language. It's a supernatural ability. It's not a natural ability. There have been not only instances, as we see in the book of Acts, there's been instances in the, in the modern world where Missionaries have gone to places and people have heard these missionaries and they heard in their own language and it, and it was as though that missionary was speaking that particular language. This is, this is not, this is not a, a, a gift that we should view and say, well, now I don't have to learn Spanish because I'll just believe God to give me the gift of tongues and it'll be a lot easier. No. Uh, I, someone, someone asked me one time, Pastor, why don't you ever give a message in tongues during the service? I said, because everyone in my service speaks English. <laughs> I, I am. I'm speaking to everyone in English and we all understand English. When I go to Mexico and I speak, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, so I have an interpreter. So when I go to Mexico and preach the gospel, I have to have an interpreter that is interpreting for me. If, it would be ridiculous for me to get up there without an interpreter because the places we go, no one would understand us. We'll get into a little bit more of this later on as we go through the book of Corinthians. But tongues is the supernatural ability to speak in an unknown language, um, as in Acts chapter 2. Interpretation of tongues, this is the supernatural ability to hear and interpret an unknown language. So these are what the Bible calls the manifestation of the Spirit. And it's given to each one for what? For the profit of all. So these are given to build up the body and to magnify Christ. So our tendency is to want to get caught up in the gifts. And this is what the Corinthians did. They, they had a uh, fixation on the gift of tongues. And they were prideful about possessing certain gifts. And some were puffed up because they had a particular gift that other people did not have. And Paul is writing this letter. In this part of this letter, he is bringing discipline to the church 
because they're out of order in their operation of the gifts, in the manifestation of the Spirit. And, and he's saying, you've missed the entire point of why God has given these things. He's given them to each one of you for the profit of the whole body and to magnify Christ. So let's, let's just kind of go over what the Scripture reveals about spiritual gifts. In Romans 12, 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given, use your gift according to the proportion of faith. So the gifts are freely given according to grace, and they're used in proportion to faith. So these are gifts of grace that we operate through faith. The manifestations of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the profit of all the body. This is what we just read in, in verse 7, given to each for the profit of all. The gifts, their working and their distribution to each one is determined by the Spirit as He wills. This is what verse 11 says, distributing to each one as He wills. So some of you have knowledge today because you chose to read, study, go to school, work in a career that led you down that certain path that, that caused you to gain certain knowledge. And I think it would be fair to say that, that you, you chose to do that. I, I went to the University of Texas. I got a degree in business. I chose to do that. It was God's, I, I look back now and I know it was God's sovereign will. It was his plan. It was his purpose. I chose to do it, but, um, but God's hand was upon me that enabled me to be able to, to do those things. Um, I never planned to become a pastor, but God in his sovereignty led me down a path that I finally surrendered to, and here I am, a pastor. So I have knowledge in things now that I wouldn't have perhaps otherwise if I weren't a pastor. And so some things we can say that, that we, we choose those things. But when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit as listed here, we don't just choose when and how I'm going to manifest. Let's see, I think I want the gift of healing today. And I just go out and do that. It's not my, it's not me who decides that. It is the Spirit who determines when and how these gifts will operate and through who they'll operate. We need to know that not all individuals receive the same gifts. And so Paul asked these rhetorical questions at the end of the chapter, verses 28 through 31. God has set some in the body. He, how did he set them in? He set them in as he pleased. He set some, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. So not everyone receives the same gifts. Not everyone has the same appointments. And we need to know this. We need to know that God uses the gifts to bear witness of salvation and magnify Christ according to his own will, not according to our own. Hebrews 2.4, God also bearing witness of so great a salvation, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. So I believe absolutely God still works miracles today. 
I believe absolutely God still heals today. I believe absolutely God can do the most mind-blowing things that we could ever imagine still today. But he does them in his will, in his time, according to his plan and purpose. We need to be vessels that are yielded to his will, to his time, to his plan and purpose, so that God can and will work through us. Amen? Okay. So, let's go back to verse 7. But the manifestations of the spirits given to each one for the profit of all. This is an important principle that we understand. Verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, of that one body, being many, are one body, and so also is Christ. For by one spirit you were all baptized into one body. So what, what does this teach us? This teaches us that Christ has one body. It's made up of Jew, Greek, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, white, black, brown, yellow, red. I don't know if there's purple or green in there, but it's, it's multifaceted. He's got one body. And there are many members, many diverse, unique members that make up that one body. Spiritual gifts are given to each, the members of that body, for the profit of all, for that one whole body. So whatever gift you may have, whatever function in the body you have, it's, it's not for you. God's given it to you. He works it through you, but he's done that for the profit of all of us. Amen? And not just all of us in this room, but for the whole body of Christ. Spiritual gifts witness to and magnify the head. Who is the head of the body? Christ is the head of the body. So they witness to and magnify the head of the body, who is Christ. Verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So here's what we need to understand. There's no longer, remember, Jew or Greek, ethnicity, social status, are not identifying factors in the body of Christ. God's not going to have one body for Jews and one for Gentiles. He's not going to have one body for men and one body for women. He's not going to have one body for rich and one for poor. We are all one in Christ. And so Christ becomes our one and only identifying factor. And we were baptized into Christ by one spirit. It's one spirit that gives us life. You have life by one spirit. It is the spirit of God. I don't have one spirit and you have another spirit. If we're in Christ, we have the same spirit. We have the same life. We have the same identity. It is Christ. 
verses 14 through 17, for in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, does that mean it's therefore not of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? So there are many members expressing one life in one body. You see this in your own physical body, right? This is why Paul uses our physical body as a practical analogy of how the body of Christ works. This is true naturally. It's also true spiritually. Each diverse member has a diverse function, but all function as one in one body. We are to all function as one in this one body. This is true universally, but we don't just live with a consciousness of the universal church. The question is, how do we function together as a local body? How do we, all diverse, all with different gifts and different talents, different abilities, different proclivities and inclinations, we have different likes and different dislikes. How do we all function together as one in this one body? That's an important question. We do it by the Spirit because God has made us one. He's joined us to be one. And so without the diversity God designed into the body, there wouldn't be a body. So we shouldn't oppose our differences, we should actually embrace them and celebrate our differences. I mean, aren't you glad your hand and your feet aren't the same? How many of you like to walk on your hands? I can't walk on my hands. You know, sometimes I can't walk on my feet very good, but I, I cannot walk, I can't even do a handstand. I know y'all are surprised, but I can't. I don't have enough balance, and I certainly can't walk on my hands. So I'm very thankful for my feet. But I, there's things I do with my hands that I can't do with my feet. I'm, I'm thankful I don't have two feet up here because it would make it very difficult for me to do, I think, most everything. Because I can't pick things up with my feet and grasp things with my feet. I have to do that with my hands. So I celebrate the diversity of my body because it enables me to function effectively, efficiently, and properly. We should celebrate the diversity of the body because it enables us to, to function efficiently, effectively. Verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased and if we were all one member, where would be the body? And how indeed are there many members, yet one body? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. But rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body that we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. How many of you are going to go eat lunch after you finish here today? If you're going to go eat lunch today, somewhere, sometime, you're going to eat sometime today. Who's going to eat sometime today? Not very many people. Oh, well, just when you, when you get ready to eat, whenever you do it, 
I, I want you to think about how your eating would be if you didn't have a stomach. And we don't think about our stomach very often. Well, I don't know. I think about, my wife says I think about my stomach all the time. But, but usually just when we're hungry, right? I mean, everybody wants to be, Paul says, hey, we all want to be an eye. We all want to be a mouth. We all want to be. But the less honorable, the weaker ones, we bestow, we bestow greater honor. This is what he's talking about. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. In our unpresentable parts, we have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. Try living without a stomach. You're, mm. Or a colon or intestines or... These are necessary parts. They're not visible. They're not real flashy. I mean, no one walks up to you and say, man, I love what you've done with your colon. <laughs> well, I don't know if they do, then I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good thing, but <laughs> we just don't think about those things, right? <laughs> but you know, man, Pastor Jeff, your, your head looks extra shiny today. It looks good. Or, you know, man, I like that haircut. Or, those earrings, they accent you nice. I mean, you know, we dress up parts of the body and other parts of the body, they're just kind of in there. They don't get a lot of airtime. They don't get a lot of attention. They're just hidden inside here, but but they're so absolutely necessary. We, we literally could not live without them. But I know people who live without, I know people who don't have a hand, don't have a leg, don't have certain external parts of their body. Those, the, they've either lost them through, you know, whatever. There's a lot of soldiers going around today who've come home and they've lost limbs, they've lost members of their body. But there's certain parts of our body we can't live without. And so, Paul is telling us to embrace who we are. Because who you are is who God made you. How you function in the body is how God created you and designed you to function in the body. So don't despise that. Embrace that and understand that we are all, regardless of our function, regardless of our place, we are all necessary for the body. That's why when we experience loss or separation or division, it's a painful and a hurtful thing. Because the body didn't make us, he didn't create the body to experience those things. He created the body for us to be joined together, working together, functioning together as one. So God created you, gifted you. God determined your function and God set you in the body just as he pleased. This is what, this is what verse 18 teaches us. Faithfully embrace the gifts and the function God has given you. Faithfully seek to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. 
faithfully live surrendered in His will, knowing that you are empowered by His Spirit. It's not your power, it's the Spirit's power. Faithfully live surrendered in His will, knowing that you are empowered by His Spirit and set in place to function in the body just as He pleased. Trust Him that He knows what He's doing. Faithfully function in your place for the good of all the body and for the glory of God. When we try to function out of place, when we work against, oppose the unity and the functioning of the body, we're opposing God, His plan, His purpose. We are not bringing glory to God. We are actually dishonoring what God meant for us to honor and bring glory to. Verses 27 through 31 Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. So now Paul is shifting from this picture. He's he's saying, look at your natural body and understand how it works. Now you are the body of Christ. Understand how the church functions. God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers... After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracle? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best or the greater gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So he says, you are the body of Christ, your members individually. You are the many who are one. And God has appointed certain ones in certain order in the church. Not all are apostles. In fact, we have no more apostles today as the apostles who were the writers and the recorder of the scriptures, like the apostles who were those eyewitnesses that lived and walked with Jesus, whom Jesus said, you are my apostles. We have men today who call themselves apostles in the sense that they plant churches and oversee churches, and I don't have a problem with that. In that apostolic calling, it's just that we need to understand and distinguish I don't care how many churches I may plant, establish, and oversee. I am never going to be an apostle like James, John, Peter, Paul, or any of the other ones. I can't be, won't be. It was upon these apostles recorded in the scripture that the foundation of the church was was founded on, was built upon, upon the cornerstone of the apostles and the prophets. The Bible says. The prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the New Testament, they laid the foundation of the Scripture. Scripture is not being written today. This is why we can't accept Mormonism, because the canon of Scripture closed, and God is not still writing Scripture today. God has appointed certain ones in certain order in the church. Not all have the same appointment and gifts. You're all called to the work of ministry, but you're not necessarily all called to be pastors. 
But because I am called to be a pastor doesn't mean you're not called to the work of ministry. Because pastors and those who are not pastors are all equally called to the work of ministry. My work, my vocation, my calling, my function in the body may be different than yours, but that doesn't mean that all of us as saints, as believers, we are all called to the work of ministry. That is fulfilling the Great Commission and making disciples. And then Paul says this, earnestly desire the greater or higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. And we're going to talk about that excellent way next week. So let's review real quick before we close. What should we know about the gifts of the Spirit as recorded here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Remember the word gift is charisma. It's linked to the word grace, charis. So these are graces that God gives us. Grace is not what we do, but what God does. And if God is the one giving and governing the gifts, then God is the one determining the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how of how these gifts work and operate in the body. Amen? We need to know. So then we need to know that God is the giver and the governor of the gifts. We need to know that the Scripture teaches We need to know what the scripture teaches. So what does the scripture teach us about the gifts? It teaches us that we should not be ignorant of them. Don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. It teaches that gifts are to bear witness of Christ and never the person who receives the gift. They are diversities. There are diversities of gifts, there's diversities of ministries, there's diversities of activities, but it's the one same Lord that is over governing all of these diverse gifts, ministries, and activities. So the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And the gifts are given to each according to grace. We don't earn them. They're given to be used in proportion to our faith according to the measure that God has dealt to each one. Gifts are working how? By your great effort? No, gifts are working by the Holy Spirit. They're working by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And gifts are distributed to each by that same Spirit who works those gifts and they're distributed to each as he wills. And so, what is your part in all of this? I think as believers, we need to understand this very fundamental thing. Instead of getting caught up into trying to figure out what gift I have, what my function is, people tell me this all the time. I just want to know what my, I know God has me here for a purpose. I just want to find out what my purpose is. Listen, your purpose is to enjoy God and to glorify Him. That's what your purpose is. If you have a desire to fulfill God's purpose and you're going through life searching what that purpose is, listen, quit, just quit that and just begin to enjoy God. Begin to think about the God who saved you. You are created and put here to glorify Him. And he has allowed each of us 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to enjoy him forever. That doesn't begin when we get to heaven. That begins right now. And, and if you're not enjoying God right now, I want to really encourage you to begin to pray and seek the Lord. If your hope of enjoying God is going to be one day when you get to heaven, you're missing you're missing out on something so very important. I didn't say that your life would be easy. I didn't say you'd always have an easy way and never have a problem, never have a bad day, never a cloudy day. I didn't say that, and neither does the Bible say that. The Bible says, though, yet in all of our trials and tribulations, there is joy. Joy remains. Jesus said, I speak these things to you that you might have joy, that, that you would have my joy and that your joy would remain. God wants you to enjoy him right now. You need to know that the Spirit is constantly working to manifest in you the life of Christ. If you're saved right now, you possess the life of Christ. And the Spirit of God is working on the inside of you to manifest the life of Christ. He never stops working. Whether you feel him or not, it doesn't matter. He is always working to manifest the life of the seed planted in the good soil of your heart. You need to know that you're a vessel God in His grace has chosen for His purpose. You didn't choose God, God chose you. You didn't love God first, the Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. And the very fact that God loves you, if you love God today, it's because God loved you. And that means God's chosen you. You're a chosen vessel for his purpose. And you should never, ever forget that. You need to know that the manifestation of the Spirit is according to grace. And it's used in proportion to our faith. And it's distributed to each as he wills. I know I've repeated this several times, but I want you to get this. This isn't something that you're earning. This isn't something that you're working hard to, to get. This isn't like getting a promotion at work or getting a raise at work. Man, I'm going to put in extra hours. I'm going to be extra diligent so my boss will give me that promotion and notice me. That's not how the kingdom operates, okay? That's not how the kingdom operates. It's by grace, through faith, and God's given you both. You trust him to distribute to you as he wills. And when he does, he will empower you. You need to desire to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, being conformed to the image of the Son. That should be a desire in your heart. Coming to church is not doing penance. You don't come here for two hours on Sunday, then it's all good, and you know, then I come back next Sunday and, you know, just need to make sure, you know, I keep God in a good place so he's not, you know, too upset with me. No. That's not what this is about. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what Christianity is. That's not what the gospel is. It's not about that. There should be a desire in you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If that desire is there, then fuel it. If it's not there, pray and ask God to give it to you. 
desire for Christ and the fruit of his spirit to be made manifest in you. It's not just desiring to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. There's a reason we want to desire that. And when we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, the life of Christ in us should begin to manifest and be made known. There should be a desire inside of us that Christ be known through us. That the fruit of the Spirit is not just something that I begrudgingly exercise and, and do out here because it's what I'm supposed to do. Well, I'm going to love them because I have to. No, love needs to be on the inside. Joy needs to be on the inside. Peace needs to be in you. Kindness needs to be in you. Gentleness needs to be in you. Faithfulness needs to be in you. Self-control needs to be in you. The fruit of his spirit, the fruit of his life, the fruit of righteousness must be made manifest in you so that it can come out of you. We need to be surrendered to his will and committed to his glory for the sake of the whole body. You need to understand that you don't live on an island. You don't live isolated. The decisions you make, the things you do, the things you don't do, your actions, your reactions, even the thoughts and the intents of your heart have an effect on everyone around you. Please understand that. It's for the sake of the whole body and for a witness to Christ in the world. So spiritual gifts are never about the receiver, but they're always about the giver and the originator of the all gifts. Who is the originator of all gifts, of all grace, of all things? That is Christ. He is the originator. He is the giver of the gifts. He is the one who is central in all things. Know that all of God's purposes are found in Listen, fulfilled in and revealed in Christ. There's not anything in this book that is about anything else other than Christ. Everything God does is centered in Christ. All of his purposes are found in, fulfilled in, and revealed in Christ. Colossians 3.17 says, He is, speaking of Christ, He is before all things and in Him all things consist. I think that is a more powerful statement than we can imagine. It's not just talking about the beginning of the creation. In Him all things consist. It's a declaration that cannot be overstated. So my challenge to you today is that you make it your desire to be consumed by Christ. To be living sacrifices consumed by his holy fire for his holy glory. And I believe that if we will do that, there's no gift, there's no manifestation, there's no fruit that will be lacking in our lives as he works his purpose through us. We won't have to be going around trying to figure out, do I have what it takes in this situation? Listen, if we live surrendered to him and our desire is to be consumed by him, whatever situation God takes you into, you will have what you need. 
because you have Christ, and in him all things consist. Amen? Let's all stand. Now, there was a time where I would have preached a message on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and I would have invited people to come up to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could then go out and manifest these gifts. And there are still people today who believe that way and operate under that uh, assumption. I do not believe that's what the Scripture teaches. I believe what the Scripture teaches is that if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. He is your hope of glory because Colossians says, in Him dwells the fullness of which I want to emphasize that word. In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if you are in Christ right now, the fullness of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God, who cannot be anything but full and full of His glory, that Spirit dwells in you. So our problem is not that we have not received something. Our problem is that we've already received it, but we don't have the comprehension of what it is we've already received. Thus, my challenge that you would seek to desire to be consumed by Christ. That Christ who lives, if he's in you, become consumed by him. Let him consume you. Be consumed by him, however you want to say it, however you want to think about it. Let Christ be your all-consuming desire. Ask him to reveal to you what has already been imparted to you in him. So that's what I want to do right now as we pray, okay? Now, I don't know if everyone here is saved or not. But if you have never, if you have never received salvation, if you would say right now, Pastor Jeff, I know that I'm not saved and I need to be saved. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. How do you call upon him? You call upon him from a heart of faith. So I want you right now, I want everyone just right now, if you're here and you've never called upon the name of the Lord, I want you to do that right now in your heart. I just want you to say, Lord Jesus I need you to save me. I call upon you in my heart, God, and I ask you to save me because I am separated from you and I have no hope apart from you. Now, if you, listen, if you did that right there, that quick, from a heart of faith, the Bible says God will save you. What does that mean? That means that God will come to live within you. He will cause you to be born again. He will take up residence in you. 
So now, Christ in you, the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you by the Holy Spirit. But you have, and we all lack, the comprehension of this fullness and what it is that we have received by grace through faith. So we're going to pray right now for all of us. For all of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to pray right now that God would do a work in us to begin to reveal to us the fullness that we have. Not so we can go out and exercise our gifts. No, please. So that we can become focused on and consumed by a person, Christ. That our lives would be defined by a person named Jesus. That Christ would become central to all that we are to who we are, to what we are, to everything. Amen? And that we would trust that now Christ will, He has equipped us to do whatever it is. We need to be yielded vessels to this. Father in heaven, we come right now in humility, knowing God that none of us deserve the salvation that you've offered to us in Christ. That Lord, when you save us. When we are born again, Lord, we're not born again because we deserve to be. We're born again because you and your grace reached down to us in death and translated us to life. And when you did that, God, you put within us your Holy Spirit. And now Christ dwells in us by the Spirit of God. And if Christ dwells in us, then the fullness of God dwells in us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would make known to us, reveal to us the fullness of Christ that dwells within us, the fullness of the glory, the fullness, Lord, of your power, the fullness of all who is Christ. That, God, we would begin to understand that, that we are not lacking something from you, Lord. Our desire is to grow in the knowledge of who you are to grow in the knowledge of the finished work that you have performed in Christ. Father, I pray that you would begin to consume us with a zeal. Lord, if there are those here today, God, who have become complacent, nonchalant about their Christianity, about their relationship with you, Lord, if church is just a place they come to do penance, to just try to gain some type of favor, so that you're not mad at them. God, I pray that you would destroy those stereotypes, destroy those deceptive um, views of who God is and what the gospel is. God, destroy those things and begin to reveal to us the truth that would make us free. God, I pray that you would begin to consume us with the fire, your holy fire. That God, we would become consumed with the person who is Christ. That our heart's desire, God, would be to manifest this person, Christ, the love who is Christ, the peace who is Christ, the joy who is Christ, the truth, the way, the life who is Christ. That our consuming desire would be to manifest this life of Christ in all of our lives, in everything. That God, whether we're on the highest mountain or the lowest valley, the brightest day or the darkest night, who we are in you 
our joy in you and all that we have come to know and possess in you is not moved by those things. But we are steadfast because Christ is our life and we abide in him and he abides in us. Help us, God, to be a people that would find our greatest joy in you, Lord Jesus. And that you would be glorified in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.